0: Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning in to the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here. Whether you're joining us online or you're here in person, or if this is your first time here, we're glad that you're here. So today we're finishing up a series that we've been in now for seven weeks called Everyday People. And what we've been doing really is looking at the unedited lives of people throughout the Bible that God was able to use in amazing ways. Despite their problems, despite their difficulties, despite the sin in their life, God was able to use them. Really, we've looked at people uh, that have had insecurity issues, people with anger issues, people with bitterness issues, issues, people with sin issues. We looked at uh, dysfunctional people, a dysfunctional family. And then last week, if you were with us, we looked at a lady who had overwhelming shame in her life and how God was still able to use her through that shame. I mean, truth be told, we've looked at people just like us. That's who we've been looking at each and every week. People with all types of problems. So today, the person that we're going to look at, you, you're familiar with. This person is uh, a superstar in religious circles. This person we have put on a pedestal from day one in churches all around the world. And the person we're going to look at is Moses. Now, whether you grew up in church or maybe this is your first time ever in church or tuning into a church service online, you know Moses. You've heard the name of Moses. And everywhere you go, Moses is well-loved, right? He's just this biblical hero. And it's not just Christians that love Moses. Jewish people love Moses. Muslims love Moses. I mean, the guy is literally a superstar, there's TV shows in the past about Moses. There's been movies made about Moses. And when you look at his life, the reason that Moses became this celebrity, if you will, is because of what God was able to do in his life. And remember, in this series, we, we talk the very first week, our tendency is to put our focus on the individual Instead of putting our focus on God who's doing the work in the individual. But what we've learned is God's the extraordinary, we're the ordinary, right? He's the amazing in our everyday. So, for a little background on Moses, and and I've got to give you a lot of history before we kind of dive in and, and we'll see how God used Moses. But Moses was born Jewish and he was born in Egypt. during a really tense time, I guess you would say, in Egypt's history. And and what was going on is the person in charge of Egypt was called the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was really concerned about the growth of the Israelite people, of the Hebrew nation that was living in Egypt. They were becoming so numerous, he felt like these people are, are becoming a threat because all they have to do is turn on us and they can overthrow our government. So he's getting really paranoid about the number of Israelites. But up until this time, the Israelites living in Egypt, the Hebrews living in Egypt, they, they lived a pretty good life because they had favor with the Egyptians. And to give you a little background on that, you remember we talked a couple of weeks ago how God is often referred to in the scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, remember when we talked about Leah and Rachel, Jacob had 12 children from Leah and Rachel and a couple other people. But he had 12 children and they became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one of those sons was a guy by the name of Joseph, okay? And he was key in this favor that Israel has With Egypt. Well, Joseph, his 11 brothers hated him because he was able to interpret dreams. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. He told him one day, hey, someday you're going to serve me, not in a flippant way or a prideful way, but this is what God was showing him. So his brothers despised that and the fact that he was the favorite son. So they decided to kill him. Well, they had a little remorse at the very last minute. Instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. Well, he ends up in Egypt. And the Pharaoh at that time had a dream. He couldn't figure out what the meaning of the dream was. And God gave Joseph the ability to interpret it. And the interpretation of the dream was Egypt's going to experience a seven-year famine. But before that, there's going to be seven years of prosperity. So this Pharaoh who Joseph interpreted the dream for put Joseph in charge of collecting food during those seven years, storing it up so that when the famine came, they'd have plenty to eat. And plenty left over to spare. So the Israelites, because Joseph was one of their own, the Egyptians loved him because they saved their life. Joseph saved their life. Well, all of a sudden, at the time Moses is born, there's a new Pharaoh in charge. And this Pharaoh doesn't remember this history of Joseph. So here's what we read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph, he spoke to his people with alarm. There are way too many of these Israelites for us to handle. We've got to do something. Let's devise a plan to contain them, lest if there's war, they should join our enemies or just walk off and leave. Now, even though Israel, the Israelites have been perfect neighbors with the Egyptians for all these years, right? They've had no trouble out of them. There hadn't been, you know, any wars or any riots or any fighting. None of the neighbors had to build fences in their backyard to separate them from the Egyptians. There weren't any wild parties at night, no fireworks after 11. I mean, they were great neighbors. They were perfect neighbors, yet this Pharaoh says their sheer numbers are a threat to us and we have to do something about it. Now, think about that. This Pharaoh, who's in charge of all of Egypt, is being driven by fear of the number of Israelites. He's letting fear be his motivator. Even though he's in charge of everything the army, the political uh, arena, the religious agenda he's in charge of everything, yet he's scared of the number of Israelites. And so he lets his fear of them motivate his decisions. And if you know anything about fear, whether it's fear like he has of losing control or fear of rejection or some other fear, fear is never a good motivator in our lives, is it? We should never be driven by our fear, but that's exactly what he's doing. And it causes him to make some pretty irrational decisions. He's he's thinking irrationally. And here's what he decides to do to control the number of Israelites in Egypt. Exodus one eleven. So they put slave masters over them, over all the Israelites, to oppress them with forced labor. So he decides the solution is to make all these Israelites, these millions of people, our slaves. And then we can control them. Then Exodus 1.14. They made their lives bitter, talking about the Israelites, with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So that's how he decided to contain the Israelites. We will just work them to death. They will be our slaves. So because of Pharaoh's insecurities, because of his fears, he turns all the Israelites into slaves. But that wasn't enough for him. Then he wanted to control the population of the Israelites because they were, they were reproducing fast and they're, you know, the nation of Israel was growing. So he passed a law that they could put to death all of the young male babies. And as morbid as that sounds, as horrendous and unbelievable as that sounds, that's what he did. And it still happens in places around the world today. So that's the setting that this person we're going to talk about today, Moses was born into. That's what was going on in Egypt. And here, let's read about Moses' birth. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. They honeymooned in Las Vegas (laughs) in the room at the Bellagio with the heart-shaped pool. Okay, I made that up. The woman became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen. And what unfolds in, in the next 24 hours can only be described as a miracle in God's hand all over Moses. So the daughter of Pharaoh, this guy who's freaking out about the number of Israelites and has turned them into slaves. His daughter goes down into the Nile River to take a bath. And she sees something coming towards her. It's a basket. She opens the basket. She sees a baby. She correctly identifies it's not an Egyptian baby. It's a Hebrew baby. But then the daughter of Pharaoh has mercy on this child. And she adopts this child in the basket as her very own son. And so we read this, Exodus two ten b The princess named him Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. She adopts him as her very own son. So now Moses, he's being raised as an Egyptian, not as a Hebrew. He's not being raised as an Israelite, he's being raised as an Egyptian. So as he grows up, he learns all the customs of the Egyptians, he learns the language of the Egyptians. But most important of all, Moses learned to walk like an Egyptian. Okay, I couldn't help myself. I I couldn't resist. So, in fact, when you look at this story and then you scan over to the New Testament, the New Testament summarizes this first part of Moses's life for us in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, verses 20 through 22. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes, his parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. So what we see here, Moses was living the good life. As an Egyptian, right? He had the best of everything. He didn't have to worry about the necessities of life. He had plenty of food and clothing and, and money and finances. He was being taught all the skills of the Egyptians. Very skillful people. He, he was getting educated on the culture of the Egyptians and the power of the Egyptians. In fact, he was a trusted member of Pharaoh's household because Pharaoh's daughter had adopted him. So he was in line probably to have a powerful position in the Egyptian government. But then at 40 years old, everything changed for Moses because of an irrational decision that Moses made. And let's read about it Exodus 2 11 through 12. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, that's a picture of Moses that we don't tend to display when we put him on that pedestal, right? When we've elevated him to superstar status, we don't talk about this aspect of Moses. But when the Egyptians found out what Moses had done and when Pharaoh found out about what Moses had done, they didn't try to cover it up. They didn't try to take Moses aside. As a matter of fact, they considered Moses an enemy because of what he had done to this Egyptian. And as this story unfolds, it becomes very obvious that he's not going to get away with it. Nobody's going to take up for him. He's not going to get away with this crime that he's connected, no matter how connected he was to Pharaoh, even being the adopted son of Pharaoh's very own daughter. And so Exodus 2.15 Says this, and sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So Moses, he's scared out of his mind and he does the only thing he knows to do and he flees. He runs away from Egypt to this place called Midian and now he's a fugitive on the run. He's a modern day fugitive running for his life. So, this spur of the moment decision that Moses made cost him everything it cost him his goals, his dreams, his ambitions. His world was turned completely upside down. Now, you remember, if you were with us last week or watched online last week, we talked about how one minute our lives can be going in one direction, in another minute, it can be changed instantly. Sometimes we bring that on ourselves like Moses did. Other times it has nothing to do with what we've done. It's the direction our life is heading in. But here's what I want to take away from that. And it's learning number one. And if you're following along with our notes, they're on the Church Center app. Or you can scan that QR code on the back of your chair. But learning number one, bad decisions can wreck our lives. And I know that's a pretty simple Learning, you're like, oh, wow, I'm glad I got out of bed to hear that nugget of wisdom from you today, Scott. Bad decisions can wreck our life. Okay, I've got that, right? <laughs> but it's true. And I don't think we think about all the decisions we make each and every day of our lives and how one wrong decision can change everything. The consequences from one bad decision in our life can, can last days, it can last weeks, it can last months, it can last years, it can last for the rest of our lives. And when you look at Moses's life and this decision, the consequences were huge. I mean, he lost everything from a worldly perspective. And so eventually he takes the only job that he can find in Midian and he uh, gets a job as a shepherd taking care of sheep for a guy by the name of Jethro you can't make this stuff up. His name was Jethro. All right. He, he later went on to have his own sitcom. Y'all know about that. But he basically goes from having everything in the land of Egypt to starting his life completely over. And I got to believe when he's out there in the wilderness, you know, there's nobody else. It's just sheep. You don't have anybody to talk to. Anybody to have a conversation with, I guarantee you he's thinking in his mind what he used to have in Egypt and what he has now and how he regrets that decision and how he wishes he could just go back and, you know, turn the clock backwards and make a different decision. I mean, if he could do that, he'd still be living. In Pharaoh's household, he'd still be eating Pharaoh's food and being taken care of and being educated and being put in a position to have some political power. I guarantee he wished he could change that bad decision that he made. And I think this is what makes Moses so relatable to us because we can all relate to that. There's moments in our life when we wish we could just kind of get in a time machine and go back and change some of those decisions that we made in life. That's where Moses is at. And, and when you read this story, you know, the, the consequences were huge for Moses. He, he lost everything and went to the, really the lowest position that you could have in that culture tending sheep. And some people will read this and say, well, that's not fair. That punishment's not fair you know, the, the the punishment doesn't fit the crime. He killed an Egyptian who was abusing one of his people and they had put those people in, in slavery. He should be justified in, in what he did. But whatever the argument, God was up to something in Moses's life. See, God was trying, and, and we have the benefit of the rest of the story, but God was taking Moses through this process of transformation to prepare Moses for something greater. And Uh, getting him to become really the person that God needed him to become. So he's taking care of sheep, which is the opposite end of the spectrum of where he's lived the first 40 years of his life. But God was up to something. God was trying to teach him something and God was trying to show him something. And I think, you know, that's a question we should ask all the time in our life. We don't, we rarely ask it, but we should always ask God, God, what are you trying to teach me? what are you trying to show me? God, what is it you want me to learn? Right? When your marriage falls apart, instead of pointing fingers at your spouse and what they need to do and what they need to change and what's wrong with them, ask God, hey God, what is it you're trying to teach me in this? When you lose your job, God, what is it that you want me to learn? What is it I'm supposed to learn through this pain that I'm going through. I think often we just uh, approach things like this and think God's just punishing us. God's punishing us for our sin. There's no purpose in this. But here's the reality, learning number two. There is often a purpose behind our pain. The pain we go through in life, often there's a purpose behind it. Maybe God's teaching us something. Maybe God's showing us something. Maybe there's something God wants us to learn but Moses isn't asking that question. He doesn't see any purpose in his pain. But because we know the story of Moses or because we've seen the, uh, the Charleston Heston movie about Moses or even the prince of Egypt, we know what the ultimate plan is. God is going to use Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and away from slavery. But he doesn't know that. He's just out leading sheep and he doesn't know why. And it's interesting that God trained Moses on sheep, isn't it? You you look at the Bible and you and I, you look at the scriptures, we are compared often to sheep. And if you think about sheep, they tend to flock together, right? They tend to follow a leader. They, They tend to be rebellious and they wander off. They have to be shown where to go and told what to do. Sheep need a ton of guidance. We need a ton of guidance. So I think it's fitting that God's training him on sheep because people are just like sheep. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. I would say with pretty good certainty, 100% of us watching or 100% of us here have done exactly that. We've left God's path at some time in our life to follow our own. God's going to ultimately use Moses to lead millions of people out of Egypt into the promised land, rebellious people, wandering people, sinful people. So it's no wonder he's training him on sheep, but he doesn't tell him that. He just tells him, take care of the sheep. And so the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years and the years eventually turn into decades. And for 40 years, The next 40 years of Moses' life, he's tending sheep. And then one day he's out in the wilderness and he he comes across this bush that's burning, right? It's on fire, yet it's not burning up. And it gets Moses' attention, and I'm sure that would probably get our attention too. You see this bush burning, but the, the wood's not burning, the leaves aren't burning. It's just on fire, and then God spoke to Moses. And here's what he said in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. To which Moses has got to be thinking, well, it's about time. God, I I saw this. 40 years ago, that's why I killed the Egyptian. I saw the abuse of your people. And he's also got to be wondering, but why are you telling me this? What does this have to do with me? Exodus 4.12, and this is later on in the story, but God says, now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. In other words, God is using Moses, despite his mistakes, despite the fact that he committed murder, God's got a plan on how he's going to take that 40-year period of tending sheep and do something good through him. See, God was preparing Moses that 40 years, but at the same time, what was God doing? He was preparing the Israelite people. He was getting them ready too, because they're starting to get restless under the oppression Of the Egyptians. They're getting tired of being slaves to the Egyptians. So God's working over here getting Moses ready, and He's working over here getting the Israelites ready. So not only is God working in our lives, and this is learning number two, we must remember that God's not only working in our lives, He's also working in the lives of others. So God tells Moses, Hey, I'm gonna gonna use you. And what does Moses do? he goes into panic mode. All of his insecurities in life start to well up inside of him. And I think we can relate to that too, because when God tells us to do something or he puts us on a certain path, all the insecurities start to come up. I can't do that, God. I'm not qualified. I don't have that ability. Moses is freaking out because he's insecure. He's looking at his experiences and thinking, I don't have much life experience. past 40 years I've been talking to sheep, right? I don't have many relationships because the last 40 years I've been hanging around with sheep, right? I've got limited influence, limited opportunities. And so he pushes back a little bit on God. In Exodus 3.11, he says this, Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think I could even go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out Of Egypt. Because God, you know, before this has told him, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to get my people free. So Moses says the same thing to God that I guarantee you I've said, and I know you've probably said, hey God, this is a great idea, but you got the wrong person. You need to get somebody else to do this. And God reassures him in verse 12. He says, I'll be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I'm the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Now, I don't think that's a very comforting response, right? God said, hey, Moses, you'll know after it's all over. You'll know when you know. And Moses is probably thinking, yeah, I know I'll know when it's over. God, why don't you give me some details of how this is going to play out. But oftentimes, unfortunately for us, it's after we've been through an event or we've been through some pain or a circumstance in our life that we find out God was in it the entire time. And then Moses doubts the Israelites are even going to believe him. He he feels they're going to question his sincerity. So he pushes back again in Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your father sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what's his name? What do I tell them? He had tons of insecurities, tons of feelings of doubt and self-worth. No different than the doubts. And the insecurities that you and I hold on to every day when God wants to use us. I want you to do this. I want you to be generous. I want you to serve. I want you whatever. We have these insecurities and these doubts that we can do it. But Moses wanted some sort of proof. He didn't think anybody was going to believe him. He didn't think anybody was going to follow him. He didn't think he was a leader. Again, he's thinking all I've ever done is take care of sheep. He wasn't even confident in God's promises at this point. Then in Exodus 4.1, but Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then what do I do? And it's easy for us at this point to think, man, he, he does have some serious weak faith, right? He lacks faith right here. But the truth is, that's all of us. When God calls us to do something, we lack faith. We lack the faith. And then in Exodus 4.10, but Moses pleaded again with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but I think this is pretty interesting. You know, how do you go from being described in what we read earlier in the book of Acts as being powerful in speech and action to a person whose words get tangled and you get tongue-tied. How does that happen? Is that a contradiction in the Scripture between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I'll tell you how. Moses went through a season of brokenness, and it stripped him of all his confidence. A lot of you have recently been through a period of brokenness or a season of brokenness. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was an addiction or abuse that you faced. Maybe it was the struggle with your past and just those overwhelming feelings that come back to haunt you about something that happened in your past. Those seasons of brokenness, they strip us of our confidence. And that's what's happened to Moses. So he again pleads with God in in 4.13. But Moses pleaded again, Lord, please send someone else. Send somebody else, but what we have to understand is this period of brokenness was not intended to strip Moses of his confidence. In fact, God wanted to build moses 's confidence in this period of times. He wanted moses 's confidence to come from him, not from his abilities or his talents or his insecurities or anything like that. God wants us to find our confidence in him, and that 's what he 's trying to teach. Moses, again, God, what is it you're trying to show me? What is it you're trying to teach me? See, God wanted Moses to find his strength outside of himself. And eventually, the good news is, we, we read later on in Exodus, Moses was able to do that, to find his strength and confidence in God. And the good news for us is we can too. As a matter of fact, let's read a verse that's way on ahead, Exodus 15 two. Moses said, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. He eventually found his confidence in God, and that's what what God's goal was for Moses. So I I would say to all of us here, those watching, if your life is stalled out today, if you'd say, hey, Scott, my life is stalled out, the question we need to ask is, where am I finding my confidence? Remember last week we asked the question, where do I find my value and my significance? But where is it you're finding your confidence? Is it in your charisma? You find confidence in your your, your friend circles or your talents or your wallet or your abilities? The truth is all of those things, those things can be taken away in an instant, can't they? Those things can be stripped away tomorrow. God wants us to find our confidence in him. And I think the message through this whole story of Moses God would say to those of us that are insecure, and that's all of us, we all have insecurities. Some people talk about them, some people don't. But to the insecure of the world, God would say, I'm your security. I'm all you need. The Lord's all we need for our confidence. That's what he was trying to show Moses. That's what he's trying to show us. Find your confidence in your security in me in your relationship with me. Psalm ninety-one, two: this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Now I want you to notice something. The consequences of Moses' mistake, they were never removed. That 40 years hanging out with sheep, that was never regained. That time was lost forever. But God used that time. And use that poor decision that Moses made to to make him the person God needed him to be. To prepare him to lead God's very own people out of Egypt and into the promised land. That's why Moses has been elevated to superstar status. Because an extraordinary God did an extraordinary thing through an ordinary everyday person. And Moses eventually found his confidence and his security in God. Not what he was able to do, but what God was able to do. And we can find our confidence in our relationship with God that comes through Jesus if we'll just look that way. So despite whatever insecurities that you're carrying today and that I'm carrying today, despite our inadequacies, God can use us, everyday people, to do amazing things. So each week we've been looking at someone in the scripture or people in the scripture as well as someone in the church. So I want you to watch a video with me as we finish up today of someone who struggles with insecurities and struggles with inadequacies that God was able to show their worth and and what they were to do for his kingdom. So let's watch this together.
1: For most of my life, I've wrestled with two big questions. Uh, What am I here on this planet for and and am I good enough? Since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to make a a difference in this world. I never really was talented at anything or, or had this one thing that made me special, but I always had this desire to do something meaningful with my life. I was a junior at Virginia Tech when a friend of mine first brought me to Blue Ridge Uh, I'd been going to some traditional churches in the past, and honestly, I fell away from my faith, and, and I didn't know if God was real at that point. I slowly started to come back more and more. I kept wanting to come back, which was very different. I had never wanted to go to a church in the past, but something about this place made it easy for me to come back. I started getting involved at Blue Ridge. I would work with the kids once a month, and it led to twice a month, and then every week. I just wanted to help any way I could, and the kids gave me an opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. And that's when everything changed. The kids were happy to see me, which is something really small and simple, and you might, you might laugh at that, but these kids loved me for who I was. Just a simple hug, And someone being happy to see you, I mean, you can't really put a value on that. And the whole time I would spend with them, it was fun. We were acting like kids. I was acting like a kid, even though I was a grown man at that point. What I realized at the time, I thought that I was there to help other people. And in the process, I ended up getting so much help in return. These kids taught me unconditional love, something I had never experienced before. These kids were changing my life. Here I was thinking I was the biggest failure in the world. My life didn't mean a whole lot. And I would walk in to the kids' rooms and they would think differently. One thing I've learned from those kids that I truly matter and my life is important not because of what I've done I realize that just like a a loving parent God wants to just be there for me to teach me guide me and, and love me and and that's something different than the way I've seen God in the past and Blue Ridge really opened up my eyes to who God really is He's shown me here who I really am. He's shown me that my life does have something to offer.
0: You know, despite our insecurities, despite our inadequacies, God says, I'm your security. I'm adequate for you. We just have to trust him. We have to fully put our trust in him. And and God's plan for that is his son, Jesus, right? He sent Jesus for us to pay the penalty for all that junk, all that sin in our life, the stuff that we think about that we wish we could change. He sent Jesus to pay for that. And that's how we have a relationship and are reconciled with God is through his son, Jesus. We have to invite Jesus into our life acknowledge that we're a sinner, and be willing to follow Christ. And he works with us wherever we're at in life. That's the amazing thing. God always has a plan for us. We just got to trust him. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this series. Thank you uh, for showing us really uh, an uncut version of the people in the scripture. Lord, forgive us when we've taken the focus off of you and put it on the people and what they were able to do and how you've just shown us through this series It's you doing the work in us and in those people. Lord, help us to overcome our doubts and our insecurities, our fears. Help us to know that you can use us to do amazing things. Maybe you're praying with us today at home or here in person and and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you thought that you had to perform. That you had to do certain things or stop doing certain things. That it was all based on how well you did it. That you just had to be good enough. Listen, Christ paid the price for all of us. He's good enough for all of us. He's the answer. So if you've never invited him into your life, do that. Maybe you came in here today and you lacked confidence in an area or certain areas of your life. Maybe as a parent, maybe as a husband, maybe as a wife, maybe as a student or a friend. Look to God. Look to the Lord for your confidence and your security. Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the churches in our community. We just want to reach people for you. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, who are struggling, who have lost loved ones, who are hurting. Lord, you know every single person that's watching, that's in here, that has a hurt, a pain. Lord, I'd ask that you give them some peace. Give them some comfort. You promise us that you'll do that. All we have to do is ask so we lift these people up to you. God, we love you. We praise you. Thanks for never, ever giving up on us and loving us. In Christ's name, amen. As we finish up, if you want to fill out that electronic connection card on that church center app or on that QR code uh, on your seat back, let us know your prayer request if you want more information about the church or, or what's going on in your life. If you've ever been interested in volunteering and serving here at the church, there are uh, some tables and some volunteers out there in the lobby who will give you more information on some of our volunteer areas. They're not going to sign you up so you can stop by the table. They're not going to bite. Oh yeah, you want to serve in a kids ministry. Okay, good. We got you. No, they're just going to give you some information. If you want more information on volunteering, make sure you stop by one of those tables. I hope you have a terrific Sunday afternoon. I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for everything you do. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.